Do you like retro video games? Then you should check out the Nerd Cave Retro on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like the show, then you can join the Discord by going to the Nerd Cave Retro Twitter page and click the link at the top of the page. If you like the Open Micers podcast, but you think I'm too handsome, check out the Jester's Court podcast hosted by my fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn found wherever podcasts are given away for free. Dead Game is the new podcast where award-winning comedy writer Wally Phelps and award-seeing comedy sidekick Carlos Longoria (laughs) use their powers of necromancy to resurrect failing or long-suffering game franchises. From Fortnite to Rock Band, D&D to Double Dragon, listen to Dead Game, where games go to get good. We also want to shout out our other patrons, Mr. Derek Diamond and old Rob himself, Mr. Robbie Hennig. means i played the wrong intro music <laughs> and here we are at the open micers podcast my name is jason robbins i'm jacob craig and we're giving you guys a throwback to the old days yeah my video and sound quality is shit and jason's playing the wrong music yeah we're we're just uh batting a thousand here tonight um we're, we're looking great in front of mr dave stone here tonight it's awesome <laughs> that is who our guest is isn't it jason he, <laughs> yeah it is, is he is the man that you know from the fantastic YouTube special, Pack a Lunch. You know him from co-hosting the Boogie Monster podcast with Kyle Kinane. You know him from Last Comic Standing. You know him from the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. Dude, you know the guy from everywhere. It's the one and only Dave Stone. How you doing, man? Good. How you guys doing? Doing great. Now that you're here. <laughs> right on, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're the highlight of both of our nights right now, Dave Stone. I just want you to know that. <laughs> well, right on, man. Whatever I can do to help, you know? <laughs> Dude, I just want to say, like, I don't know what it is about your comedy. <clears throat> and and you, your, your comedy is very storyteller-type comedy. And I feel like we're, we've lived a very similar life, especially oh, with, yeah. with the way you grew up in the South. And, you know, you... Sorry about that. Yeah, and you, uh, some of the interesting jobs you've had in the past. I mean, you've been a police officer, all that weird, weird stuff. Like, like I was an EMT, and some of the stuff you talk about in your comedy hits me in a place that it's just, I, I can see the people that you're talking about because I'm surrounded by these kind of people my entire life. So, if you want to know what it's like to grow up in the South, just go listen to to mr stone's comedy albums which are which are available on spotify um you can go to uh your website is also uh dumbdavestone.com go go visit the website and listen to the albums if you haven't heard them they're just they're top tier man i just i just had to throw that out there thank you man i appreciate that yeah uh talking about like the southern background like sometimes as a comic i feel like maybe i talk about that stuff too much but if you can identify, you like growing up in the South, you're just so inundated with just nonstop stupidity that like <laughs> when I started stand up, I just felt like I had this endless well of, of potential material to pull from. And like, you know, every time I start to write a new hour, inevitably there's going to be bits and pieces of it rooted in, you know, my upbringing in the South and just the, just the absurd nature of, 
the characters that I grew up and grew up with and lived around. And it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know if people from other backgrounds or other cultures or part of the country or even the world can appreciate the nuance of just some of the just dipshittery that permeates <laughs> the South. So what do you think that me, is so funny? What do you think that is? Because I always, from the time I was a little kid, I was just different from everyone else around me. And I could, it's like, I could, I could see the stupidity, but nobody else, I felt like nobody else could see it but me. Mm -hmm. And that's why I grew up to be just a cynical fuck of a, of an adult. (laughs) (laughs) What, what is that? What makes us different from, from the, everybody else around here? Man, that's a great question. And I, I don't know how to answer it without sounding like, you know, an elitist or a prick, but like, I don't know. I grew up in all that and I had so I had that in my family. Fortunately, my parents were fairly common sense and level-headed even though there's still aspects of the bad parts of southern culture that I couldn't avoid even in my immediate family, but I don't know. I think it's just being blessed at some point with a little bit of self-awareness of like, okay, like and and I still have I I try to extract the good parts. Like, I, there's so much about Southern culture I do love. You know, I definitely don't want to come off as I'm just completely bashing oh, the yeah. South and culture yeah. because there's so much of it that is wonderful. It's beautiful. The food, you know, the, the, the musical heritage and the manners, you know, the overall default of your average Southerner's personality is, is pretty good on just your average. But it's just that smaller percentage of just whether it be just racist or closed minded or just what I talked a lot about, just mean and stupid. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I was fortunate enough at a certain age to be self-aware enough to know, okay, I like fried chicken and I like country music, but I don't necessarily have to fall in line with every single stupid aspect of, of this way of thinking. That's going to be Jacob's first album, Mean and Stupid. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say fried chicken. Um... Both. <laughs> fried chicken, mean and know... stupid. I don't I don't know if anyone down here is really racist or if they're just hot. Yeah. <laughs> they might just be hot, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that makes them mad. Yeah, yeah. The so heat rises. It's it's hard to be tolerant of anything. Exactly. You know? dude. I hate white people when I'm hot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm racist <laughs> about myself. Oh man. Yeah. Anyways, that's what I had added to the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dave, you, you mentioned, uh, growing up down here in the South, when you started comedy, did you start here in the South or or did you move away before you had started? Well, I started in Atlanta. Yeah. So at the time I was living about an hour North of Atlanta. Um, but yeah, I'd go down after work or whatever there was, I didn't even realize it when I started, but, uh, there, there, there was, and still is a really great scene in Atlanta. It wasn't as big when I started as maybe it was when I left or, or even now. But uh, yeah, I definitely started in Atlanta. Late 2006 was when okay. I started going to, um, I don't know if people, if your viewers or listeners know you know anything about the Atlanta scene, uh, my second show ever was at Star Bar, which is still going. Longest run show in the South. And it was just kind of the hub my whole time. I, I spent my first five years in Atlanta doing comedy before I moved to LA. But it was just, it was like boot camp. It was the hub every Monday night, just you know, such a good little showcase show, a long showcase show, probably, 
usually on average 15 comics doing five minutes a piece. So, you know, whatever that math holds adds up to, but yeah, it was, it was the place to be and it was a great place to start and just, yeah, it felt like comedy boot camp. So when did that lead to, uh, did that lead to you like featuring for people? Like what, what, what was the jumping off point from starting in Atlanta? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for whatever reason, I was able to kind of, you know, I'm not saying I, I wasn't good when I started, but I was able to generate material pretty quickly simply because of the volume of shows I was doing. Uh, once I started, it was, I didn't really tiptoe into it. Like I didn't start doing open mics thinking I would be a professional comedian one day. Uh, but I knew after that second or third show, when I really got the bug of like, okay, I have to do this. I'm going to do, it wasn't necessarily, I want to make a career out of it. It was just, this is fun. I think I might have a little bit of talent for it. Let, let's see if I can get good at it. So I was constantly writing, constantly going up. I mean, I was, you know, when I started and even by the time I left on average, probably 10 sets a week, you know, do, you know, more than one a night. Uh, maybe when I left, it was up to 12 or 13 sets a week, but it was just, it was just a given that, you know, and I was fortunate in the sense that I didn't have a family. I didn't have kids. So I was able to just go out every night and just hit as many shows as I could. But to answer your question, I'm rambling. Uh, I was able to generate material fairly quickly. So I started featuring uh, all around the Southeast probably about a year and a half in. About a year and a half, I, I had a, what I thought was a solid 25-30. And I got hooked up with Comedy Zone, who I've talked a lot of shit about. because <laughs> I, I, I haven't worked for them in years. And I don't know what they're doing now. But they, they did a lot of things uh, that you know I didn't understand or didn't agree with. But I will give them credit in that. You know, for someone with no experience, uh, it was a great place, to, you know, an opportunity to go and feature on the road. You know, I drive to Charlotte one weekend next week and I drive to Knoxville. I mean, that was a great thing about the South, just the geography of it, the proximity, how many decent little cities and thus decent little comedy scenes are within a, you know, six or eight hour radius of where I was in Atlanta. Atlanta's a good <clears throat> good starting point for that kind of thing too cuz there's so much stuff that's close by there. Yeah. You yeah. know, even down yeah, here like the closest thing to us is, you know, there's Mobile and mm -hmm. there's uh New Orleans and Lafayette and then if we want to go any further, you know, we got to go up to it to Atlanta or up to Memphis or out to Austin and those are, you know, at least good 7, 8, 9 hour drives yeah. from where we're at. Yeah, we had a ton of three or four hour drive you know it was two hours to birmingham it was two hours to chattanooga three hours to nashville four hours to knoxville and you have charlotte and greenville and columbia had stuff going on so yeah there was uh, even going south macon savannah georgia um but yeah there were so many places that that had comedy going on that three or four hour drive so it was really a great place to start in atlanta and i always preach this too i was lucky that i kind of really tried to pursue both sides of it, meaning I always try to tell younger comics, like at some point, if you want to work the road, if you want to become a professional comedian, whatever that means, just meaning go out and make get paid to do it, whether you're a feature actor or headliner, then you need to go and work the road at the feature level. Um, but also you need to be entrenched in a good scene. So I was lucky that like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was in the scene of Atlanta and the scene was important because it kept your sensibilities honest. Yeah. Like it kept originality there. 
You know, if if I go up to Starbar on Monday night and do some old tired hack bullshit, my buddies are going to let me know. Yeah. So there was always a standard of like originality that you had to meet being in a good scene. But then the road gave you the chops. You know, the road gave taught me how to go out and do 30 minute feature set, taught me how to eventually go out and do 45, 50. And you need both. And I can always tell when a comic only has one. Yeah. You know, meaning out here in L.A., there's a lot of. A lot of talented, funny, young alt comics that, you know, they got that back of the room sensibility because they're in a good scene, but they've never worked the road. So even if they have the material, they, they don't know how to go out and do 30 in front of a paying audience and just crush, yeah. you know, and vice versa. I used to run, work with a bunch of old road dogs that had the chops that knew how to go out and headline, but they can't go do some cool record store or coffee shop. I mean, they can, but like, you know, if they go up and do some of their kind of tired road material it's gonna bomb in like a cool scene so i always stressed uh and, and acknowledge the importance of, of having a, a toe in each water and it really i felt like it really helped me yeah so uh, at what point did you uh, kind of look at I, I guess you look at your finances or something and you're like hey i think i i'm actually starting to make a career out of this at, at, at what point was that what was that like to to finally realize that well, I kind of found a loophole. I, you know, I, um, and what I mean is, I don't know if you know this fact, but I, I lived in a van when I moved mm -hmm. to Los Angeles in 2012. I had tried to move a few other times, like, in, you know, 2010, 2011. I, I had wanted to move. And like I said, at that point, I was a full time feature act. I, I was able to kind of quit my, my weird little jobs that I was doing, little transitional jobs. And I was just a road feature. I'd go out, I probably worked on average probably 45 weekends a year, but you know, that's a lot of work and it was, it was, it, it was good training and it gave me those reps, but you know, I don't know what they're making now, but I would drive eight, nine, 10 hours to make 250 bucks for a weekend, you know? And so I, I wasn't able, even though I was a full-time comic, I was a feature act. I just wasn't able to save up enough money to move to LA and deal with that increase, you know, cost of um, cost of living and the rent out here was insane. So I decided to buy a van and just live in the van and make it like my road vehicle, but also my home. So point being to answer your question, like, you know, I kind of went through the back door in terms of like, I don't know if I'm making enough money yet to consider myself a professional comedian. So I just, I wanted to make my nut as small as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, let's get rid of Every, let's just trim all the financial fat, the financial responsibilities, even rent. <laughs> so I, uh, that's why I decided to live in the van. And that enabled me to be out in L.A. and kind of pursue that side of it, but also let me work the road and uh, not worrying about have to pay in rent every month and all the other expenses that come with that. You know, so you're not making a lot of money. You just got to reduce your expenses as much as humanly possible. Yeah. And there was a, I paid the van off. He just bought a used van. Uh, built it up myself, the inside. So there was a time when I was living in the van where like my monthly nut was like 200, 300 bucks, you know, in terms of just bills. That's not counting food and stuff, but like, you know, car insurance, cell phone, gym membership, that was about it. I didn't have any, I got rid of all my credit card debt, you know, so that was just my logic of like, well, I know I'm not going to be making a lot of money, but if I want to do this full time, let me uh, figure out how to survive on what I am making. Yeah. Right. You got so any scary stories after, for us there, Jacob? <laughs> buddy, 
every, I think every open mic story we have is a horror story, isn't it? <laughs> Probably. So uh, how long after you move into L.A. did you get uh, the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson? And did that help with you, like, becoming a more, you know, make, making more money as a full-time comic? Uh, let's see. I moved to L.A. in March of 12, and I think I did Ferguson, like, October of 13. So about a year and a half after I got here. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's hard to say, like, as far as the effectiveness of doing a, a late night set, like it definitely, you know, it looks good on the poster at the comedy club, you know, if nothing else, it validates you a little bit to somebody who has no point of reference. They're like, Oh, we've well, never heard of this guy, but the, oh, it says he's been on last comic standing. He's been on the late, late show. So it validates you in that regard to potential audience. And it validates you a little bit in terms of like bookers and club owners, you know, yeah. uh, that that's a good feeling. Pardon me, I got a frog in my throat. <laughs> that is a good feeling without being passive aggressive or arrogant about it. Like when you reach out to a club and, you know, cold call them or whatever. Hey, I'm a headliner. I'd like to, you know, work your club. And then they ask to send you a clip. Hey, you send me a clip. Absolutely, I'll send you a clip. And if you have a late night set to send them, that's just a little like, see, okay, I'm not a total schmuck who just fell out of a tree and, you know, found your club in a phone book. I, I'm, I'm, Somewhat legit in that regard. To clarify, just because some schmuck did a five-minute late-night set also doesn't mean he's going to be a good headliner at a club. I'm just saying it just validates you a little bit. It gives uh, people in the industry who may not know you, it at least gives them a point of reference. But as far as if that translated to more work or more money, I don't think that set per se really did much in that regard. It may, it, it may have helped me get booked a little more, but uh, I... I didn't really notice, like, you know, because the funny thing about that, too, a buddy, a buddy of mine pointed this out, that I was living in the van when I did my first late night set on Ferguson. And he just made the uh, observation that I might be the only comic in America who went and did late night set, a national late night set, and then went and slept in their car, you know, <laughs> afterwards. And even furthermore, like I used to park in like neighborhoods, like residential neighborhoods, and he he proposed the hypothetical that I'm sleeping, you know, I would park in front of, you know, try to park in front of like nicer neighborhoods and nicer buildings just so it was a little safer. But uh, not that that has anything to do with it. But the point of my van could be parked in front of an apartment and then you pull back and we see through the guy's window and he's watching me at 1130 <laughs> at night on late night with Ferguson, having no idea that I'm the guy sleeping in the van in front of his apartment building. So, that's that's kind of a... It's kind of a weird juxtaposition. Uh, as far as the actual experience of doing Craig Ferguson, I mean, how was that for you? Because we, we hear a lot about, you know, doing Late Night on Conan is amazing because he's mm -hmm. a, you know, a legit comic, a respected writer. I feel like Craig Ferguson's kind of the same way where, you know, he's he's also just such a legit comic like and a, and a respected late night host that it's kind of different doing it for him than maybe some of the other late night hosts. Absolutely. And I know what you're saying without saying it, but yeah, right. there's something that I host where I'm like, when have you ever done stand up? You know, and, and you can say that about Conan. You know, I'm not saying you just got to be a stand up, but point, but I mean, Conan's great and he did his own thing, but there's a few late night hosts out there that I don't know. Like, how'd you get this gig? That kind of vibe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ferguson, not one of those guys. Ferguson definitely, you know, I respected him. I was a fan of his show. 
uh, for years before I even got on there. But uh, it was fun. Uh, I didn't have anything to compare it to because uh, that was my first time doing it. But um, yeah, I mean, he was very cordial and very encouraging. You know, a quick little meeting before the show introduced himself. And uh, yeah, the, the bookers and all those people, they were cool as far as like, I didn't really have to edit. Uh, I mean, there was a couple of things I had. I I had to edit a couple little things. I I'd had a word, and I and I don't want this to come off as homophobic because that was my point. Because I, it's a made up word, but I I couldn't use the word gayfer, and I was making fun of me. I was like talking about how I don't. I'm from the south, but I don't deer hunt in the south. That makes me a big old gayfer. I just always thought gayfer was a funny <laughs> gayfer, you know. But it's not like an actual slur, like you know. The, the real, you know, spiky ones. That That's the name of around. a retail store when I was a yeah, kid. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I always thought Gafer, it was Gafer. And uh, yeah, they wouldn't let me say Gafer. So I had to change that <laughs> to like Sissy Boy or something. But yeah, I think that's the only thing I had to like change as far as the uh, standards and practices or whatever. But yeah, uh, to answer your question, it was, it was fun. It was great. I hung out with some of the other guests on the show. Uh, I, I never know how to pronounce his name. Ken Jong, Ken Yong. Uh, yeah, Ken. Dr. Ken Jong. Yeah. yeah, Ken Jong. Yeah, I never know. He was, I got to hang out with him in the green room. So nice. Uh, and I think Kristen Ritter. Is it Ritter? Yeah. Uh, Dark-headed girls and a bunch of stuff. Yeah, those were the two guests. So that was kind of cool, just hanging That's backstage. Cool. And they both were like, oh, so you're going to do comedy. Oh, I couldn't do that. Like, yeah, I, I know. Uh, I'd much rather just sit on the couch and talk about my new sitcom, but I actually got to do a five minute set. But uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. It was, um, and it was like, you know, I'm not going to pretend that like my whole dream was to get on Ferguson, but it was, you know, it, it was just self validation of like, okay, if if I if nothing happens beyond this, at least I did that, and that's the cool thing I can tell my grandkids I'm not going to have about. So uh, yeah, it was it was a good experience. But you're at a level of comedy now where was there any kind of single incident or was it more of a gradual thing to to where you kind of realize like, holy shit, I'm on a whole different level right now? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I am on a different level. Uh, I mean, it's so hard. You know, I'm so uncomfortable with that part of it as far. I, I don't know if you're referring to like success or notoriety or whatever, but like. No, I just feel like it's been a slow burn, you know, that that I always tried to approach it from, I grew up, I was never a musician, but I, I used to tour manage bands and I was always a big music guy, I'd go to shows and I always tried to take it from like the old touring band perspective. Uh, one of the, one of the bands I worked with one time kind of explained it to me in such a simple term. They're like, look, all we're trying to do is we're going to go to Charlotte tomorrow and there's going to be 20 people there and we're going to put on the best fucking show they've ever seen. And then when we go back next year, there's going to be 40 people there. And when we go back to next year, there's going to be 80 people there. When we go back to next year, there's going to be 110 people. And that's the approach that I've taken. I mean, I've been touring now for 15 years, and there's certain cities in the South that, like, I've probably done 12 or 13 times as far as, like, a headlining coming back once a year type of thing. And um, so, yeah, to me... It, Cause I never had like a big break or anything, you know, I, I don't, you know, I was never on a sitcom or anything like that, but I think probably doing the podcast with Kanane, you know, that definitely helped as far as yeah. getting me out of the complete darkness of total anonymity, uh, you know, because before that, like, yeah, like I said before, even with the f- doing Ferguson or last comic standing or some of the other fun things I've got to do, 
it didn't necessarily translate to like fame's the wrong word, but notoriety as far as like, you know, I don't think anybody's ever come up to me and talked about seeing me on Ferguson or, I mean, there's a few, some people have seen the last comic standing thing, but point being rather than just getting a cool TV credit, like I think just doing a, getting into that podcast world and being able to do it with someone who is so respected and established like Kyle. I mean, I used to joke about it all the time. Like I, you know, totally aware that, you know, some people could say, oh, he's riding Canaan's coattails. But my defense and that is he asked me to do the podcast. It was his idea. What am I going to He was already one of my best friends. So, of course, I'm going to say yes and do that with Kyle. And uh, all the people that were fans of him uh, who had no idea who I was, once we started doing the show and those people would listen to the show, uh, they got to know me and at some point maybe took the chance and, and saw my live show and so yeah, that that probably is the main thing as far as just getting more people out to my shows where, you know, no matter how good I thought I was back in the day, there were definitely times where I'd pull into town and, oh, we got four people here tonight at the Comedy Zone to see you, Dave. And it's like, oh, all right. So now um, it feels good. Not that I'm blowing up or selling a ton of tickets, but I haven't had to cancel a show in a long time. So that yeah. feels good. Well, that's what people say about this show, too, with Jacob just riding my coattails here, you know. Oh, bullshit, dude. Hey, let's come over the last hundred episodes and come up with the last funny thing you've said, Jason. <laughs> Jason Robbins. Oh, uh, I want to get in the middle of a squabble here. <laughs> Sorry you have to see our marital dispute play out on YouTube Live right now, fellas. Take it back. <laughs> See, but that that raises a funny question as well because it it seems like you did uh, late night with Craig Ferguson in a time where late night shows were more special and maybe meant more. But at the same time, you see comics now who their only credit is late night with Jimmy Fallon, but they're mm -hmm. out there, you know, headlining, selling tons of tickets, becoming a full time comic. I mean, I've I've worked with people. We've had people on this podcast where overnight they did jimmy fallon and then their whole calendar is is filled up yeah 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 i, I don't know what the rhyme or reason for that is because it does seem weird that that would be an effective thing in this day and age yeah you know I and mean, obviously back in the day the 70s and 80s we all know when there was three television options if you got on you know carson or one of the others like a lot of people saw you and of course that would translate to maybe uh, an instant career, but um, yeah, that's, and I know some of the people you're probably talking about and good for them, but yeah, I don't know how that happens, but I'd much rather see that happen than uh, people getting booked, you know, from being a fucking TikTok star or YouTube star. That's the kind of shit. Don't get me started on that. Like, yeah, <laughs> because I, I totally, I'll go on a rant. I totally get clubs need to make money and this fucking idiot who has 10 million followers is going to sell a lot of tickets. I always want to do an exit poll after the show though. Like, Oh, by the way, uh, honestly, how was the show? The yeah. guy who's not really a stand-up? Yeah. Doing stand-up? How, how was the show? And I know you like him because he's a TikTok. But, you know, objectively, how was the show? And if we're being honest... I, I mean, honestly, them, I, I would like to go see one of those shows. About, what's that guy's name that's selling expensive-ass tickets now? Or Matt Root? What was it, Matt? Matt Rife. Uh, Matt Rife. Yeah. Well, I, I would Matt honestly like to see it. Just, just out of sheer curiosity, 
like some mm-hmm. of these TikTok stars. Yeah. Just be in the back of yeah. a room watching and see how it goes. Which Matt Rife isn't a good example of that, but I mean, I've, I've seen people like I did a, a club a weekend before the next headliner was a just the guy who was one credit, if you can call it that, was TikTok. And he just has like, oh, I have a couple million views on TikTok. And he's like some fucking guitar comic. Yeah. Oh, sign me up. Yeah, right. It's like when he runs out of a punchline, he's just going to play a fucking song. Like, it's just the whole thing's a cop out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's discouraging if you think about it too much. But, uh, (laughs) you know. We we just had this guy in Biloxi who he's one of those truck comics you always see. Where he does YouTube videos from his truck. Okay, yeah, yeah. Telling and some what, truth, laying it down. Yeah, dude, talking about the self-checkout machines at Walmart and how he's not going to yeah. fucking use them. How they got to pay me to that, use that man. self-checkout machine, boy. I don't work at Kroger. <laughs> yeah, just really fresh, original premises. Yeah. I love those guys. Well, what kills me about that is that I know he sold out all of his tickets and that I know that he fucking crushed in that room. That fucking Go, kills me. I know he okay. crushed. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like contradicting my point about how it was a show. I'm sure, you know, if you're there to see a TikTok star, you probably fucking loved it no matter what he did. So Yeah, right. It was great, dude. He owned the libs the whole show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he sure did. Now, I want to get into that because my cousin's live tarded. Okay. So that's a that's a touchy stupid. <laughs> I had another point, but I don't remember it now. Jason, ask a question, would you? <laughs> so, um, well, I like to ask people about, uh, you know, the, the late night stuff now. Like, do you feel like late night shows are relevant that much anymore? Because, you know, like you said back in the day, if you got on Carson, like that was a huge deal. If you got on Letterman, that was a huge deal. I kind of like some of the late night stuff these days, but it's not near the the must watch late night thing that it used to be. Oh, absolutely not. Like most of it, if you think regardless of and I'm not like picking on the host, but just the nature of the format, anything that's going to be on a network network on a, a network channel that is has that broad of an audience and is also you know, limited via the FCC, you know, where they have to, you know, the, the content is is limited and regulated. Like, it's nothing, nothing that big is going to be that great. Like, a, I don't know who sits down and watches a whole episode of Seth Meyers every night. Yeah. Like, when you have so many other options, both in the cable television realm and also streaming and, like, I just don't know who those shows are for anymore. Like who's sitting down and watching Jimmy Fallon for 90 minutes. I, yeah. I sure as fuck ain't. Cause you back know? in the, you know, back in the day, Carson used to have people on just because mm-hmm. he liked them. Not that they were pushing a movie or anything like that. Like that, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and plus let's be honest. Like I want to sit and watch an A-list celebrity have a conversation. Like, I don't know. There's there's such surface value. Like none of those people are interesting or funny. It's like, all right, here's this fucking A-lister with a new movie, and oh, let's watch Seth Meyers and Jimmy Fallon fucking be cutesy in an interview with him. Like, who gives a shit? Like, that's just such a low form of entertainment value, in my opinion. But uh That yeah, being said, if they if the if you know NBC came to you and like, hey, we want to do a new late night show, do you want to host? Would you say yes? 
Probably not. No, I know that sounds insane, but I don't give a fuck about trying to be that guy. Like, <laughs> nah. I mean, now you know, if could I do something on HBO or Netflix where I have more freedom, and then maybe you know I can pick my staff and do like something really original and funny. Yeah, that'd be great. But to just go up and go through the motions and be the next Jay Leno, who gives a fuck about that? Ugh, that's yeah. no thing. And it just seems like they're doing that shit five days a week. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, even though I'm bashing them, I know it's not easy. I used to work in radio. You know, I did a morning show on radio five days a week. I had to come up with shit to talk about. So I, I realize why it's not all gold. But, like, also, who who's making you do five shows a week? idiots why don't y'all just do one really good show a week yeah you know i don't so but yeah the whole late night thing i mean i watched conan you know when i was a teenager and i appreciate a lot of what he did and uh and seriously i watched ferguson not just saying that because i did it but you know i watched some of him but i wasn't like every night out of the way i gotta watch this shit you know but i get you know in previous generation i know a lot of people did do that for letterman and Carson and you know I know there was a lot of Conan. Oh, yeah. just I was a, I was a huge Letterman fan yeah. growing up because you could go on watch Letterman and you're gonna see something different. Like you know back in the exactly. '80s, you would see stuff like Penn and Teller when before yeah. they were famous. You know on David Letterman pretty regularly. Like he would have people like that on, and you know you would see you you, know, you have really famous clips of Letterman. You know like when. Uh, Jerry Lawler, you know, hit, uh, (laughs) um, crap. What's yeah. Andy Kaufman, like just stuff like that. You don't see that kind of stuff anymore. You will never see that kind of late night anymore. Yeah. And I think it's across the board, you know, like going back to the network thing, any of their shows, none of the, none of the shows on any night or any time slot are holy shit. I got to see that, you know, cause it's just so watered down and safe and, you know, not to get in the whole industry side of it, but executives out here, all they're interested in is keeping their job. They're not interested in trying something new and taking a chance or maybe yeah. being an innovator. It's just like, you know, because they all know they're fucking frauds. So they're like, let me just do <laughs> enough to keep my job. Let's play it safe. Let's just have here's another boring CBS multicam. You know, it's just, I just yeah, the nature of the business uh, does not reward originality. And that's so the you thing. You, you, good... Oh, go ahead, Jacob. I'm sorry. Yeah, let me talk, Jason. <laughs> what? Can, you, can I ask a fucking question, dude? Go Please? for it. <laughs> you, you do raise a good point in that I don't think I can get through the first 10 minutes of any current late night show. Because like back in the day, you watch Craig Ferguson's monologue. It's fantastic. You watch Conan's monologue, it's fantastic, and these are respected people. But it's almost like the the writers now, it's like, okay, we're we're doing our five Trump jokes and our Biden joke, and we've got to do a carpool karaoke sketch. And it's like, I mean, I can't watch just <laughs> 10 minutes of a non-comic doing comedy, dude. Bingo. Bingo. And I mean, that's what it all boils down Back in the day, Jesselnick mentioned that he was in the writer's room for Jimmy Fallon on his first show, and he got fired after like a week because he was giving him like Anthony Jesselnick type stuff. And Fallon was like, we can't have that here. And he fired him. Yeah. Who hired me? What did you think I was going to bring to the table? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, dude. But it's like they're firing like really good comics out of their writer's room to get whoever's writing for them now that just gives them all, all five late night shows, just the same material. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough. 
That's what I was going to say is like you could take any of the late night hosts now and just interchange them and it's yeah. the exact same show. Yeah. Yeah, and just even the 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 format of the monologue like all right, here's 11 jokes about the news just fucking mad lib style just it's just empty calories to me. It's just it's just sugar water. There's nothing there. <laughs> I I need to hear what Craig Ferguson thinks about that fucking submarine, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> missing out on that. Yeah, that that's you know somebody's perspective who you would want, who you would desire, not just Jimmy Fallon fucking giggling through another interview. Like that's just so boring to me. We got to tell you guys about B Res Coffee Company. That's right. B-Res Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by game. Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered. Like the out-of-this-world chocolate and caramel flavored roast. Or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. You can even get your very own Open Micers Roast of Coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too. So head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order. Do you think it'll ever change? Do you think we'll ever get back to a point where creativity trumps uh, just cookie cutter bullshit? I do. I think just given how I think that with YouTube and podcast and just DIY, you know, I, I think eventually, well, you, I, I don't know, maybe that's wishful thinking. There's, you got, you also got to know your audience. You know, I'm thinking when I say those things, I'm thinking about the people that I know and hang out with comedians that, you know, do have an original sense of humor and crave originality. But, you know, I don't know what the, I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's going on in middle America in terms of what they want to watch or listen to. So I don't know, but I think with regardless of the audience, I think with the rise of DIY stuff and YouTube and podcasts and everything in between, I think, and we're already seeing that. I think it's making the mainstream shit just more and more irrelevant, you know, yeah, or less I, relevant might be a better way to say that. Cause I feel like when yeah. I was a kid now, you know, I was learning about comedy and, you know, my dad, gave me my first comedy album. It was AMFM uh, by George Carlin. That was my first comedy record. And then, you know, collecting records. But being that comedy nerd kid, you know, late uh-huh. night was where I went to, mm-hmm. you know, for comedy. Like, because, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's where that's where it was. That's where it lived. Yeah, it's the only place it was other than, you know, maybe when Comedy Central came around or, or an yeah. HBO special, you know. And now it's kind of like, I, I, it's where do you go? To to um, I mean YouTube obviously, but even then it's kind of like you gotta find it. It's not. It's kind of like not there in your face like it used to be. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we stress this on my podcast. I do with my wife, the Stonebergs. Like most every episode at the end, we just have a little segment called Word of Mouth. Like, what? Here's a band that maybe y'all should listen to. Here's a comic that's got a new special. Here's a TV show. You know, just. And that's kind of how, and that might be naive, wishful thinking, but that's kind of what I've based my whole career on is just hoping that the people who came to the show and really dug it, not the people that just thought, you know, of course there's going to be certain people like, oh, he's fine. But I hope that I have a small percentage of the people leave my shows going, this guy fucking rules. And I, I'm banking on them telling their friends about it. You know, oh, 
my buddy at work likes comedy. You got to check out Dave Stone or yeah. whatever, you know, and like, because that's also all I'm shooting for. I, I, you know, of course I'd love to sell out hockey arenas and minor league baseball stadiums who wouldn't, but like, I don't necessarily, that's not my goal. I don't need that. I just need my goal not to be too inside baseball, but I want, I, from day one, I've always wanted to just go to any town in America on any given night and sell a hundred tickets. Yeah. That'd be nice. hundred people in the, in the right size room makes for a wonderful show. If they're digging it, selling a hundred tickets is plenty money for me, you know, to make it worth my while. So I'm just trying to get a hundred people in every town that, uh, and again, not that I'm, I've never been like super alty or original. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm fairly meat and potatoes as far as, my style, but I hope I put a unique enough twist on it that, you know, maybe it attracts, you know, a, a savvy comedy audience rather than just we like whatever schmuck was on TikTok, you know, this morning. <laughs> yeah. And I think you get a lot, a lot more of that in the South too, because just we as people, like we know when we're being tricked. <laughs> like we, yeah. I mean, I can look at a comedy poster now and see if the guy's funny or not just yeah. from what's on the poster. Like, it's yeah. not hard to do. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you have Hulu as a credit, dude, what did you do on Hulu? What? Yeah. How was the whole fucking streaming platform your credit? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, there's so there's a lot of um, stolen valor in regards to comedy credits out there floating around, too. Guys Wait, that I'm, I know, like, you were not on HBO. What the fuck? What were you? And I, and I don't want to say, I've never done this because it seems petty, but, like, when I see a poser post their show post or something and it's got credits on there. I'm so bad. Hey, what you do on HBO? I must've missed that. You know, yeah. oh. or I knew a guy one time, a headliner, I'm not going to say his name, but he was an extra. He was just background extra, did not have a line on some whatever bullshit show from 15 years ago. Anyway, he was literally an extra, did not have a line. And that was his credit. It's like, man, you know, and not that I'm trying to be the credit Nazi here, but like, eh, you know. Oh, I'll be quick to put that stuff on my acting resume, but I'm not going to put that on a comedy resume at all. Yeah, How's that going to sell a ticket? Who gives a (laughs) show? Oh, we got to go see this guy because he was in the background of Suddenly Susan. (laughs) Uh, Whatever the fuck it was. It was. Uh, I know what show it was. I can't even remember, and I'm. I won't even say it because I. But anyway, but yeah, there's just a lot of that, and I, you know, I'm sorry you don't have credits, but you you shouldn't fake it, you know. Yeah, you right. gotta get out there and build the credits. Because and again, you know, it's not for me to control it, but it it devalues the legit credits out there. Yeah. You know. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of that around here, too, dude. Like, for, for whatever reason, there's just so many comics down here who claim to have had uh, a Netflix credit or a CBS credit from something. And there's this one guy in particular who just is just some guy from Orlando who came through here claiming to have been on HBO, True TV, Vice News, all this stuff. And what it was from was he was in the the audience of a game show on true tv he made it on camera in the audience and that clip got put on vice news and shown on hbo with him in the audience and he thinks that's all three credits i mean like when i was coming up in atlanta you know we wouldn't 
take him out behind the bar and beat him with a broomstick, but we would definitely be like, hey, man, explain that. And then we would just go, you're full of shit. You should probably take that off your poster. Like, yeah. we had no problem calling people out on that. And again, not to be super elitist or aggressive about it, but it was just like, what are you doing? That's why I never understood comics that posture and pretend that there's something they're not around other comics. Because yeah. it's like, hey, man, we just saw your set. We know you're a poser. Like, you're not fooling us. Like, but I feel like comedy is the only way, the only, like, place where you get, it's okay to do that. You know, like, if somebody's being a poser, you know, yeah. call them out. Because Absolutely. Because you're making us all look like idiots. Yeah. I used to teach this in Atlanta. Like, it is so, and you guys probably know this too, it is so hard to get the general public to come to a comedy show where no one's famous on the lineup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, your average American walking down the street knows four or five comedians. Yeah. You know? I, I'd love, you know how they do that shit, speaking of late night, where they do the sidewalk and they're interviewing random people. I'd love to do a survey of that, just like name your five favorite comedians. And most people probably couldn't get to five. My point is, it's so hard to get people to come to a comedy show where no one's famous we can't have any of this fuckery. Like, we want them to come back. If they come, if they take a chance and come to a local comedy show, whether it be an open mic or a showcase show or whatever, and it's just a bunch of dickheads posturing and posing and not delivering, they're never coming back. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's like, what I mean. Like, it, it is so hard to, to, to build, to, especially in comedy, to like, not, not, not only just like build yourself up in your own, scene your own hometown but even just to like you know go out of town like and 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 go to to other mics and like get featured somewhere or open up for something like it's so hard to build that up and then you get to that point and somebody's gonna come along and like some fucking tiktok star <laughs> it's like what am i doing like there's just that angers me uh, I, I I don't know. It just it. I feel like it should be called out because it might be elitist, but yeah, you earned it. Yeah. Well, and you know, I was a part of a, a group in Atlanta that we were out there every night, and we were working hard, and we were trying to develop as comics, and we were trying to build the scene and grow the scene. And when people come in and you know, just do it half-ass or posery, it's like, dude, you're devaluing all the shit we're trying to do here. Like, take that shit somewhere else. And, like, we had a lot of that, too. I think a lot of it's bizarre to me that there was a lot of comics that pose in terms of, like, wanting to look cool or seem cool. Like, this is fucking stand-up comedy, dude. If you want to fucking be cool, go start a band. Go yeah. join a fucking <laughs> band. Go fucking try to be an actor. But your little fucking bullshit, I'm a cool guy, but I, I'm a poser, like, that doesn't work in stand-up comedy, buddy. Yeah. Fucking either get better or get the fuck out of here. I like, already did those other two, too, and I'm not cool there either. <laughs> and my point with that is, too, that I mean, it's not just elitist and you don't belong. It's you're taking a spot. I couldn't get booked on tomorrow night's show because they gave you a fucking spot. Yeah. And you're a yeah. poser who's not taking it seriously. You know, mm -hmm. like, stage time on any level is valuable. It's all relative, but, like... 
you know, I'm trying to build a new hour, but I can't get booked at this club because they're letting some fucking poser have a spot. Like, yeah, that's that's when it becomes personal. So fuck you. (laughs) Tell me how you feel about this, because this happens a lot down here as well. I don't know if it was happening around, you know, when you were on the open mic scene or whatever. But um, there's so many showcases here now where the producers will book open mic comics who it's like their third ever time doing comedy because they know that they're going to sell 30 tickets to their friends and family and whatever. Yeah. Same thing happened in Atlanta. Atlanta was notorious for that laughing skull lounge. So when they came around, they build themselves as like the cool alt comedy. And they were for a while. They booked Maria Bamford and Doug Benson and Mark Maron. But a now they rarely even have an out of town show uh, headliner come through. It's all best of Atlanta. Uh, it's just showcase shows every weekend that they charge like thirty fucking dollars for, yeah. but also on the open mics, and that's kind of one of the th- shows I was talking about. Like when I was in Atlanta trying to, you know, build new hours and build new material, I I could barely get a a spot on the open mic because all twenty spots were new people that were going to bring friends. And again, I get that it's a business, but also this show, even though it's an open mic, is going to be fucking awful. Because they didn't stagger the lineup with seen veterans. You know, yeah. you got 20 people on an open mic, sure, give 10 of them to brand new people. But how about the other 10 to the people that have been around for months or years, busting their ass, trying to, you know, develop a thing? And uh, yeah, I used to bump heads with those idiots there all the time. Like, just 20 spots on the open mic, 20 first timers. Now, of course, that's an exaggeration. It wasn't like that all the time, but. Many nights there were 17, 18 first timers. And it's like, well, this show's just going to be fucking great. I'm glad you made money off of these idiots' friends. So good for you. Yeah. And that and can't be I'll, sustained. <laughs> just, no. yeah. Well, not, not only is no one going to come back to that show, but at the same time, I know producers who are doing this who will book like three of my comics because they can trick them out of not having to pay them. Yeah. Because they don't know any better. They've never been booked before. They don't mm-hmm. know that, hey, if you're booked and you're doing five minutes and you're working to sell tickets, you should be fucking paid for that. Like, yeah. no, I just did it for the stage time and the exposure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a broad spectrum there. But yeah, in theory, if if that show is selling tickets, you know, and granted, an open mic are doing five minutes, you know, they don't just I'm not saying they need 50 bucks, but, no, but- you know, a couple of drink tickets, a crisp $10 bill, something. Mm-hmm. You know, and I spread it around. I didn't just make that up either. Like, I, I there's an exact situation in which that's happened that I'm. Oh, I'm sure, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, what's but your I, your one big piece of advice you would give? Because we do have people that listen to this show. I mean, we are the Open Micers podcast. So, any up and coming uh, young comedians, like, what is your biggest piece of advice you have? I mean, the obvious answer, and it is true, just just reps, just get on stage as much as possible. But beyond that, you know, early on, someone who's very early, uh, somebody told me this, shout out to Drew Thomas. He was one of the big guys when I started in Atlanta. And he told me very early on, shut up and get good. Meaning, don't worry about your fucking website. Don't worry about your business cards. Don't worry about this. Don't what good is advertising a product if the product isn't very good yet shut up and just get good at comedy 
for a while. You know, don't worry about it. I know everybody, even a brand new, you got to promote the shows that you're on. I get that. Uh, another piece of advice, uh, don't book a bunch of regional open mics and call it a tour. Again, not trying to be a bookkeeper, <laughs> but it undermines, it devalues the comics who are legitimately touring. Yeah. You know, I'm legitimately touring. I'm going out to cities. I'm doing an hour every night. Good for you for doing your open mics and your guest spots. But I'm sorry, it ain't a tour. You're not a touring comic yet. You know, you can be, but this, this, these are shows I'm looking at on your website. This ain't a tour. So stop fronting, stop posing, and just, you know, <laughs> it's just the have some humility. You know, just the lack, just, and I know I sound like the cranky old man, but this was this way even when I started. And I'm sure it's worse now, but just the me, 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 look at me, I'm a star. You're a star? You're fucking terrible, bro. We all watched your set. You know, that doesn't mean you won't be a star one day, but you ain't a star today, and you got to fucking accept that and just work and get better and leave all that other bullshit alone, you know, if you want to be a good comic. Some people don't care about being a good, respected comic. They just want to be famous on yeah. any level, you know, TikTok, whatever. And those are the people I have a hard time hanging out with, you know, in the green room. You're just trying to be famous. Fuck, fuck off. Get away from me. Yeah. You know, like you're just that's not what we're here to do. We're here to get good at comedy and put on good comedy shows. And I don't know. I'm ranting, but uh yeah, advice to young comics. Uh do some reps and just don't worry about self-promotion until there's something really worth promoting. That's some excellent advice, Dave Stone. Um with that being said, I think we're gonna wrap up the podcast on that note. Uh please. Tell everyone where they can see you on this Southern tour. I know you're hitting Mobile, Pensacola, Lafayette, I believe. Where can everybody see you? Yeah, uh, all the dates are up now at dumbdavestone.com. But in August, I'm doing, I think in order, I'm doing Wilmington, Columbia, South Carolina, Charleston, Savannah, Jacksonville, Tampa, Tallahassee, Panama City, Pensacola, Mobile. Yeah. yeah, brother. Yeah, that's uh, I, uh, August. May not be opening yeah. for you on that Mobile show, so oh, cool. don't be surprised if you see me there. Right on. Yeah, I heard that's a good venue. I'm excited. That's the oh. Alabama Music Box. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I opened for Mick Foley there, dude. And when it when it's full, it's a mm -hmm. fucking you cannot miss in that show. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah hopefully you're, we can fill uh, it up some. You're on Saturday, August 26th at the Vinyl Music Hall in Pensacola, which is an excellent venue. Uh, did some stuff there before. Um, and you're also at the Alabama Music Box on Sunday, August 27th. So go get your tickets at dumbdavestone.com. Uh, the, the mobile tickets are $15 advance tickets and $20 at the door. So go get your tickets right now. I have a question for you guys real quick. Okay. You guys are in Biloxi? But Pretty you also do stuff in Mobile and all that area. Yeah. If I'm rolling through, let's say I'm going from Pensacola to Mobile, I'm a big I'm a big food guy. Where am I getting lunch? What's the best? Okay. If you're in, you can't go wrong with the Bucky's. Uh, <laughs> well, if you're in Pensacola, go eat at McGuire's. That is McGuire's? the place. Yeah. Go go to McGuire's. There's a little bit of a wait to get in, but it's totally okay. worth the wait. To get in it's the best place you're gonna eat uh mobile i don't really know maybe a street hot dog <laughs> okay <laughs> oh, yeah 
The street hot dogs are fucking legit, dude. Especially yeah. if you have a few drinks in you. Holy shit, they're wrapped in bacon. Look at that. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> oh, they have them like that. They actually do. They're so good. I love that. Like, who's going to turn that down? Of course. Yes. Hot dog wrapped in bacon. Yeah. You know? That sounds good. We have a lot of that around here where, like, such, like, makeshift DIY, like, just some little old lady literally with a shopping cart turned upside down and, like, a st- sterno can underneath and <laughs> with a fucking griddle, grilling up bacon-wrapped hot dogs with peppers and onions and... Yeah, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's good, but yeah. Don't get me started on street food. Like, out here, everybody loves tacos. Tacos, tacos. Yeah, tacos are great, but the individual components within still have to be good. Yeah. yeah. You know, you get credit for just making a taco. Like, all the stuff kind of needs to be, you know, well done and, and good. Yeah, I'm telling Not you, well. in Pensacola, go to McGuire's. Dude, their hamburgers are okay. the size of your head. Like, they're okay. so freaking huge. I mean... You can get anything there you want. Like they got po' boys, they got uh, Irish type food. You know, they got like shepherd's pie. But I always get a hamburger when I'm there, and it's like the size of a couch pillow. It tastes like shit, but it's really big. No. <laughs> uh, speaking of good burgers, um, the Blind Mule is a bar in Mobile. They used to I do comedy there. Did, yeah, I did shows there. Yeah, yeah, dude, their burgers are are fantastic. If you've never had okay. a burger. But- but no, like little roadside catfish shacks, or uh, you'd have to come further this way yeah. to the Mississippi area for anything like that. I think. Okay, yeah, I'm always on the prowl. I, uh, you know, the shows are usually secondary to my food adventures when I go on tours. So. Yeah, if you're if you're swinging through, well, I actually live in Ocean Springs, which is right next to Biloxi. Uh, if, you, okay. if you're swinging through Ocean Springs. You could come by Pleasant's used tires and barbecue. Okay, <laughs> get you some bar- get you some good yeah. used tires and some barbecue while you're there. Once oh, there we go. I like that used tires and barbecue. It's <laughs> <laughs> like that old James Gregory joke. I don't know, you know James Gregory, old yeah. Southern road dog. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he just had a joke about drove past a business at uh, lawnmower repair and income tax service. <laughs> Now, how the hell did they come up with that? <laughs> you know, Frank, you did a hell of a job on my lawnmower. I think I'll let you do my taxes. <laughs> that, 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 that sounds like where Jacob lives, up in uh, Van Cleve. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. I mean, I have a guy who does small engine repair just out of his house and clears, like, freaking $1,000 a week. Hell, yeah, man. Redneck ingenuity, man. It's, you know, like I said before, I make fun of the South, but, yeah. Some of the smartest motherfuckers I've ever met are just dumb old rednecks that can fix anything, <laughs> you know, engineer shit. Like, uh, that redneck ingenuity is a real thing, man. I respect it. I'll tell you what, if I, if I get the green light to open for you in Mobile, we'll talk a lot of shop about food places in the green room. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. That sounds good. Well, yeah, well Dave, it has it. been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, tell everybody where they can find you at on the interwebs. Yeah, again, uh, Dumb Dave Stone's got all my tour dates. Uh, I got a new Patreon. I'm a big food guy. I like to cook. Um, now the Boogie Monster's on hiatus. I'm focusing on Dave's Kitchen Patreon. Uh, I just I do videos, and I also do podcasts. I do, like, recipe, instructional recipe videos, but then I also do just uh, food-related podcasts where I sit down with a comic or a chef or somebody and talk about food. But, yeah, that's at patreon.com slash Dave's Kitchen. Uh, DumbDaveStone.com for the tour dates. 
uh, Dave Stone Comedy on all the social media stuff. And then uh, the Stonebergs every Wednesday. That's with me and my wife, uh, Katie Strandberg. Uh, it's kind of um, adventures in human behavior. A little therapy stuff, a little self-help, a little neurodivergent, uh, just trying to figure out how our brains work. But, uh, yeah, we're having fun with that. And Katie will be with me on that tour. She'll be doing some guest spots on all the shows. So uh, she'll be oh, at nice. Mobile and Pensacola and all that. So uh, a lot of times when I do shows, you know, we don't have a huge uh, listener base, but we, we have a small but loyal fan base uh, who who listen to Stonebergs. And every show I go, where's Katie? Yeah, you were fine. We're here to see Katie. Where's Katie? How's Katie? So I got tired of answering all those questions, so I'm just bringing her with me. So awesome. that's awesome. What about you, Jacob? You got anything? Uh, you, you got anything in the pipe you want to throw out there before we go? Uh, officially booked right now, October sixth in Mobile at the Alabama Music Box. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Stone versus Drunk versus Sober. I'm going to be on Team Drunk. And as always, dude, look at our calendar on our website and look at those guest names and tell me you're not excited for the future. Open Micers is killing it right now, dude. We've got. I can Jake also from- be the name of my show at the at the music box. Stone versus drunk versus sober. We can make that happen too. Yeah. That could be fun. <laughs> right. dude, let's get let's get teams Dave Stone going. Hell yeah, <laughs> that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, We've I would, Jake- it would be it would be Stone versus sober. It would I would be on the drunk and stone <laughs> part. So, oh, yeah. Dave versus sober is really all that show would be. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we've got tons of guests coming up on the pod. We've got uh, Ian Bag towards the end of the month, Jake from the Joke World YouTube channel, and we've got even more hits coming in August. So now's a great time to get in our Patreon to get all that extra content. Go check out our website for regular blog posts. Those have been killing it lately, and uh, we love you guys. Fantastic. Well, if you want to email us, email us at openmicerspodcast at gmail.com. We're at openmicers.com. You can go to our link tree, link tree slash openmicerspodcast. It takes you everywhere you need to go. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at openmicers, at jpunktastic, at Jacob C. Craig, and at Jacob Craig Comedy. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash ompodcast. And of course, berezcoffeeco.com. Use the code ompodcast for 10% off your order. And we'll see you next week. This podcast is a Zoo House LLC production.